Welcome to Noise Cutter. We are caught up to current day on this episode of the Noise Cutter podcast. This one is a readout of the Noise Cutter newsletter available at noisecutter.substack.com. It was published on March 2nd, 2024, and is today, March 3rd. So yesterday, yep, we are caught up to current. And that's how we'll roll in the future. Uh, podcast readouts will come out either day of or shortly thereafter uh, publication of the newsletter. And then on the podcast, you'll also find additional content like interviews and discussions um, with folks who know more than I do on some of the issues that we um, cover here. So this one's a three-parter. Vice falls, Musk sues, and Boeing buys. Again, someday I'll be able to stop writing about Elon Musk and Boeing, but, you know, that's not today. Here we go. So first, RIP Vice. You know, I have a tough time with the story. You know, on one hand, I've been a fan of Vice's content since maybe 2009, when I started encountering it while listlessly scrolling the internet in between or during uh, law school classes. Their stuff was raw, edgy, and at least to me, far more accessible than what CNN, MSNBC, and the other major outlets were producing at the time. Their stuff about food was interesting. You know, their stuff about drugs I was never really into, um, but it was their conflict, global affairs, and politics coverage that, you know, for me, satisfied an itch born from other outlets just never really going far enough. If you've ever found yourself pissed off that an interviewer left a seemingly obvious, if controversial, question on the table, right, um, or off the table, I should say, well, vice journalists tended not to do that. It was game on, and I couldn't help but pay rapt attention. You know, on the other hand, though, vice was intensely problematic. The media world is no stranger to workplace sexual harassment, but, you know, in true vice style, they took even that to just another level. And you might say, you know, what do we expect, really, from an outlet called Vice, you know, of all things? Um, but that's obviously no excuse. But the problems weren't always perhaps so expected, right? So a to toxic workplace culture is one thing, but to think that a co-founder of a pretty clearly left-leaning media organization would go on to found the Proud Boys? Yeah, Gavin McGinnis, that happened too. But none of this stopped companies like Disney, and yes, Disney, from seeking to buy Vice outright for billions of dollars, right? That acquisition deal didn't go through, but could you imagine? But that's just how hot Vice was at that time. Everybody wanted a piece of the action. And at its peak, Vice was valued north of $5 billion, hot on the heels of a massive equity investment from TPG, Texas Pacific Group, private equity firm. And yet, today, we're left to mourn the loss of some pretty special journalism as Vice ceased publication of its, its publishing operations uh, last week. So that's Vice News and et cetera. Now, the question on everyone's mind is obvious, right? It's how the hell did we get here from a multi-billion dollar valuation to then the chapter 11 of last year and now to just closing up shop on publication? And luckily for me, you know, I don't even have to try to explain it because there's other folks that have done it for me. And really here, I'm going to link you and you have to go to either the show notes in um, this podcast episode, or you go over to 
noisecutter.substack.com and you'll see this article in the archive there. Um, and you'll see the links to the stories that I'm about to talk about right there. So you can click to do and read. Um, now, the first place I'd recommend you go in is this article, right? Is an article in uh, The Hollywood Reporter by a guy called Lachlan Cartwright. And that does a far better job than I've done here of detailing the history of Vice's rise and fall. Um, it's it's scintillating and it really, it, you know, it's shocking. But um, yeah, it's a, gr it's a great um, top-down summary of the situation. But the thing you should read next is an article in The Guardian by former Vice journalist Siren Kale. It is pointed, to put it lightly. But her insider's details paint a picture that I think we've all sadly seen before, right? And that's founder starts company, convinces folks it's worth a lot of money, gets a ton of money, and that uses it and then uses it for, you know, purposes. And uh, hint, it is not always the purposes directly aligned with growing the business to nearly the forward-looking valuation on the basis of which the money was actually raised. You know, it reminds me of a story of um, another company. I think it also starts with a, a V or maybe a we. Anyway, yeah, this is one of those things where it sucks that it happened, but you also kind of knew it was going to happen. And for any number of reasons, it probably should have happened a while ago. It's tough, but it's the truth. If there's a takeaway from all this, it's for other larger media organizations grasping for relevance with millennial and Gen Z audiences. CNN, I'm looking at you. To take a page out of Vice's book. To sponsor the kind of edgy, go-there journalism that made Vice great. And execute it without a toxic workplace, workplace or financial chicanery. But I suppose that's easier said than done. All right. On to something brighter. No, not brighter. It's noise cutter. Come on. And uh, this one, it's, uh, it's come on, Elon. I never get tired of saying that. It seems like Elon Musk just can't get enough of being in court. Now, in our last issue, we talked about Elon's latest corporate governance issues uh, with his trying to move from Delaware and then making up things about Delaware corporate law. Sure. This week, Elon's on the offensive going after OpenAI and its CEO, Sam Altman, on a breach of contract claim because of an alleged shift in OpenAI's goals. That is to say, from being more of a nonprofit to now focusing more on turning profits. And at the center of all this are OpenAI's dealings with Microsoft, which has provided significant funding to OpenAI's development of technologies like GPT-4, which is the engine behind ChatGPT. Now, on one hand, Elon kind of has a point. OpenAI, which Elon helped start, by the way, started off as a nonprofit. And it's maybe more than a little awkward when nonprofits develop for-profit subsidiaries, which is sort of now how OpenAI works. Now, on the other hand, developing AI technology is expensive, both in terms of technological resources and human capital. Microsoft has committed to investing billions into OpenAI. Hint, no, <laughs> right? Now, there's a funny thing about the very idea of an AI nonprofit, though. The way AI exists and is being developed today, it is at best, a tool that saves users time and money when performing certain tasks, like building a website or drafting marketing copy. Now, ask yourself this, are these tasks more consumer-oriented or business-oriented? And I'll give you a hint, it's the latter. 
the things that AI largely does right now are to help people do work better and faster and whether rightfully or wrongfully help businesses do more work with less people. Until AI can clean bathrooms or take the car for an oil change, I dare say the biggest impact will be as a service integrated into a business's offerings for its customers, right? Whether in the product or uh, in the way in which the product is built. It may not be the entire use case, but it is overwhelmingly the biggest, at least as far as today. Now, let's look at other services designed for businesses. We've got, you know, tax preparation, HR outsourcing, marketing, technology, and the list goes on. Now, how many of those are run as nonprofits? And that's few, if any. But there's sort of the rub. OpenAI's goal of developing AI tech as purely nonprofit was doomed from the start because it's hard to get donors when the folks to your right and left are offering returns to investors. I think the folks at OpenAI either knew this from the jump or figured it out rather quickly, and they adapted accordingly. You know, it's better that than, say, Chapter 11 or 7. But maybe none of that matters, because Elon's little suit alleges a breach of contract, and so your next logical question should be, what contract? It turns out the contract between, uh, that Sam Altman and OpenAI uh, allegedly breached you know, between Sam and, and Elon isn't something like an express and binding agreement executed by two or more parties. That is to say, you know, what you normally think of as a contract in the business context. But rather, it was an email. And you can read it here. I've linked this in the uh, show notes. Again, noisecutter.substack.com. Find this article. I'm reading this out. And there's a link. Uh, you can read it there. It is Exhibit 2 on page 40 of the document, the complaint, followed by Musk and, well, followed by his counsel. So can an email be a contract, right? And shockingly, the answer isn't an outright no. Now, for the lawyers in my audience, you know exactly where I'm going with this. And for the non-lawyers, you'll get bored to sleep before we even get there. So I'm going to stick a pin in this for now. But I would expect the response from counsel for Altman and OpenAI to be really just great reading, honestly, like seriously great reading for anyone currently doing contracts in law school. So if you're in law school, you're signing contracts or you just finished it, whatever, I would, I would read the answer that's going to be filed you know, fairly shortly. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a good one. But read the email and tell me what you think. All right. And our last story, Boeing's 90 Days. Yeah, of course, it's Elon and Boeing, Boeing and Elon. So just change the name of the podcast, why don't I? I wonder sometimes when I'll be able to stop writing about Elon Musk, and I wonder the same thing about Boeing. In the latest news, the FAA has given Boeing 90 days to fix their quality control issues. That's 90 days. That's three months. If you've ever worked on any sort of major corporate program, you've probably had the same reaction that I did, which is, What? To be clear, 90 days is a short time frame for this kind of thing. The quality issues at Boeing seem to be something of a Gordian knot. And if you don't know what that is, Wikipedia, I've got a link in the show notes. You can click and, and learn about that little story. It's a nice little analogy to make in certain situations. Uh, this one, extremely um, apt. The quality issues at Boeing are something of a Gordian knot. They're a tangle of people, processes, and policies that will all need overhauling. 90 days would be a reasonable time frame in which to conduct an investigation of the problems, but to take that through to solutions seems not just difficult, but like laughably so. Nevertheless, here we go. 
I like the Gordian knot analogy for Boeing's issues because of how the story ends, uh, the Gordian knot story, uh, the parable, maybe, right? Um, that is to say, you know, you don't try to solve the problem, you get rid of the problem. Uh, and in that story, you know, Alexander, Alexander the Great, doesn't try to untangle this big ornery knot, but instead he cuts it in half with his sword, right? And for Boeing's door plug issue, there was a ton of finger pointing back and forth between Boeing and its fuselage construction vendor, Spirit Aerosystems. So how do you, how do you cut through this problem, right? Uh, Boeing said Spirit was to blame because of the faulty assembly. And then there were issues with inspecting Spirit's practices because they're located in Malaysia. And the list of issues or excuses just goes on and on and on. And so for Boeing, creating a proper vendor oversight program to govern their relationship with Spirit is a lot like trying to untangle and retie the Gordian knot, right? The sword through the middle of it, you just buy Spirit outright and make it a part of Boeing once again. And that's what's currently in the news. Boeing is reportedly in talks to reacquire Spirit almost 20 years after Spirit was formed out of a Boeing spin-out of its fuselage, fuselage, I'll be able to say that right the first time eventually, after Boeing's spin-out of its fuselage construction operations in 2005. I'm not sure if this is more of a business school case um, about spin-outs and, and vendor management and things like that, or something we'll find in the legislative history of future regulation over the aviation industry, right? And what you can and cannot outsource. Um, but maybe it's both. All right. And so we've got other points of interest here um, that, you know, typically we don't read out on the podcast. We save these for um, readers of the newsletter, which you can be for free. Just go to noisecutter.substack.com, sign up there, and you can read about how Google gets hit with another lawsuit over its uh, ad business, uh, how the uncommitted vote could be a problem for Biden, um, Sheehan and their, you know, IPO hopscotch between the US and London, and um, headwinds for startups in 2024. Are they real or are they not? Um, as always, you know, you can go to YouTube um, and subscribe to the Noise Cutter podcast to get these uh, video episodes. You can also subscribe for the audio only ones on Spotify and Apple Music. I actually think Spotify now might be supporting video podcasts. I'm not sure. Um, it's a new world for all of us. But uh, yeah, you know, we'll try to do the most on uh, as many platforms as possible. So Spotify, Apple Music, you know, Amazon, uh, RIP Stitcher, that one's no more. But uh, you get the idea. Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you, you know, get your podcast information from. And of course, noisecutter.substack.com to subscribe and get the uh, newsletter issues, um, which you'll see readouts like these of, um, like this of, uh, directly in your inbox. And uh, yeah, you know, socials, we're on Instagram, uh, we'll start to be on TikTok more, and uh, YouTube shorts, I guess. So find us on there. Uh, we're either, you know, no Noise Cutter on most platforms, Noise Cutter Media on Instagram. And uh, yeah, until next time, I will see ya. <laughs> The Noise Cutter Podcast is a production of Titan Gray, LLC, and is hosted by me, Rex Chatterjee. If you found our podcast helpful and want to say thanks, please head over to your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever else, and give us a review, 
leave a comment, and hit that follow or subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest. For more about our guests or this episode, head over to our website, noisecutterpodcast.com, where you'll find contact info for our guests as well as links to some of the things we talked about on this episode. If you want to reach us directly, just send an email to info at noisecutterpodcast.com. This recording is a copyright of Titan Gray, LLC, with all rights reserved. This podcast may be construed as attorney advertising, and prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, and your listening to this podcast or contacting us about it does not form an attorney-client relationship. No affiliation or relationship, including an attorney-client relationship, exists between us and our guests unless otherwise stated. For full terms of use, please visit our website at noisecutterpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, here at Noisecutter.